Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis on all the big topics of debate you're talking about and you want to hear about. Today, we're giving Duncan Castles the day off because clearly he's neither Spanish nor very good on La Liga. He will debate that. I'm very pleased to say that joining us is the La Liga aficionado extraordinario, Mr. Bumper Graham Hunter. Welcome, Graham, to the podcast again. I I, I watched on Twitter and I noticed that this transfer podcast is very, um, very getting people excited and you're popular. But it doesn't mean you've got to put on your uh, Newton Mearns voice to introduce it. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't enjoy that at all. Honestly, was it, seriously. Was it too Gregory's girl for oh, you? Oh, it was, it was horrendous. Right, okay. And if we're moving from castles to windmills, then yes, I'll from be your Castillos Sancho Panza. Molinos. I will be, I will be your Don Quixote. Uh, yeah, let's do Molinos, who Molinos. in fact is the director of football at the Spanish Federation, as you very well know. And uh, should be being quoted for jobs in England, but we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. Come back to that another time. Well, it's your questions answered today on the transfer window, as you all know. And uh, to be fair, uh, with the window still being open in Europe and not in England, that's why we're here in Spain, as promised, to bring you all the latest news on probably what is going to be the biggest deal of the summer. And of course, that is Neymar Jr. Will he be going to Bar- back to Barcelona or not? New developments over the last 24 hours and no doubt over the next 24 hours as well. Um, Graham, we reported on Monday that um, our sources at PSG were demanding um, that a credible, realistic offer be made by Wednesday. It seems that that has been supported in some of the Spanish sporting press this morning with regards to a deal being finalised in the next 24 to 48 hours. Now, um, lots of our listeners have sent questions, so I'm not going to go through all of them because you all know who you are, but we want to get straight into the news. What's your understanding of the current situation, Graham? And uh, what are the chances of this being concluded before the window closes next uh, Monday? Well, we can definitely... um go beyond what's reported in the press. It's a matter of fact uh, that three key men, including the football director, um, Eric Abidal, but uh, also including Oscar Grau, who's there and and able to negotiate economically, went to the French capital to meet with Paris Saint-Germain yesterday. When they came back, Oscar Grau, um, who is... When Abidal in the absence of uh, Pep Segura, who's, who's now been removed from the club um, and not yet replaced. When Abidal is there, it's to ensure that all the football matters are covered, that the, the technical side of uh, the deal is adequately represented, that, um, that there's a sporting presence in what otherwise would be an all-consuming, multi-million-pound um, commercial deal that that cannot be the only thing that's that's talked about. Nevertheless, it's Oscar Grau's words that are the most important because, irrespective of the Spanish media's take on the subject, Ian Grau landed at um, Barcelona Airport 
and uh, late last night and said the day's negotiations mean that Neymar moving to Barcelona is closer. We haven't reached a full uh, agreement yet, but we've we've made progress. And the, the first thing I think is useful to do, you didn't name um, the people who've phoned in, written in, um, left messages for podcast. But I guess that the, the, the question is unanimous because there's been so many takes on this. And I have tried not to be, to go with the wind on this one because I think what you're left with, and it's where, you know, I have to say that when you and Duncan engage in, in this task over the summer, I don't envy you that task. I think that it's deeply Machiavelli in the market. I think it's deeply internecine. I think there's an enormous, you and I used to work together on the same desk and we would agree that there's really very few other businesses in the world, certainly that are legal, where you're lied to as much as this or where so many lies are told. And I think that the, the recent years have led to people um, just taking up. There is one particular Catalan journalist who gets a lot of prominence here. He's, he's literally just taking up punt every week and, and has no, doesn't really care um, whether he, his position is changing from week to week or day to day. Uh, he's not a particularly well-known journalist in the UK and I'm, I'm not going to do him the favour of naming him. He's based here. And it just, you know, it frightens me that people are putting their faith in, in folk like that. So let, let's go to the basis of truth. Over the last several days, based on a report in Le Keep, a lot of people have been analysing this potential move and saying it's very likely that Real Madrid get him because Florentino Perez is um, obsessed by repatriating the kid he once had and lost. And I accept that Real Madrid have put effort into Paris Saint-Germain would love to um, gazump Football Club Barcelona. But one of the reasons that this got so much uh, fuel in its engine, Ian, was that L'Equipe wrote, Barcelona are fanning around in order to try and appease Leo Messi. They've got absolutely no intention whatsoever. And you must read it that um, there's no chance of Neymar going there. Well, Oscar Grau's words yesterday, um, pretty much dispensed with that because to go on the record and say we are negotiating things have moved forward it's a little bit closer means that if they do not bring him in by Monday September the 2nd is when uh, the window closes and we move to air conditioning in Spain it'll be enormously embarrassing now for the club enormously embarrassing not only for Grau but for Bartomeu who's got um, elections in just about a year's time he can be elected at post. His his preferred candidate can suffer because of this. Um, it's not impossible that there can be emergency motions to to remove Bartomeu. I don't see that in the near future. But for a club to go on the record to be to brief everybody that they're travelling to Paris, which they did, and to make sure that the media were all waiting for the private flight back, and to then comment on the deal in public means that they've they've got much much more skin in the game in terms of. Uh, reputation in terms of credibility. So I take it as being a fact that in Barcelona's opinion, you know, they've, they've moved closer to being able to get Neymar. And before I come to a conclusion on this, one, they've been helped a little bit by two. Uh, it, it's, it seems evident that Rivaldo, either at the behest of Barcelona or Neymar's clan, has, has become part of this... Um, onslaught, let's say, rather than operation. 
And Rivaldo put a public post, I think, on Instagram saying, everybody knows Neymar made a mistake. Everybody knows that he wants to come back uh, in this new uh, Morse code that everybody follows. And you can hear a bit of my sardonic tone. It's not my mode of operating, but it, it needs to be put into the mix here. Neymar's father did a like on that post by uh, Rivaldo. I take all of that to be a set play, literally a dead ball situation where it's pacted that Rivaldo says these very firm things. He made a mistake leaving. He desperately wants to come back. He only wants to come to Barcelona. Uh, the player's dad liking this very publicly because every medium follows these tom-tom beats. And then again, I have to be clear, you mentioned your Paris Saint-Germain sources. This comes from Football Club Barcelona's briefings. The Neymar, they've been asking him to get his feet wet. Come out and speak. I, I, when I listen to you on, on the Transfer Podcast, this is parlance that you and Duncan use all the time. Big clubs, sometimes big agents, say to players, if you want the move, you have to work for it. The way you work for it is to come out and hurt your current employers by saying, I want to leave, or they haven't offered me a new contract, whatever, but you say it on the record. And they've been asking Neymar Barcelona to do that. He hasn't done that, but the briefing is that he made it expressly clear to uh, Leonardo, sporting director, Paris Saint-Germain, I don't want, this would have been, pardon me, on Monday this week, I don't want to go anywhere except, I don't want to stay and I don't want to go anywhere except Barcelona. So it's it needs to be, I'm re-reporting this on trust that Barcelona's briefing is honest, but this is the sign they've been waiting for. So done deal, definitely not. Guaranteed to happen before Monday, no. But I think that there are enough broad indications to suggest that things have moved forward a little bit. I do believe that, particularly given Neymar's father part in this, and uh, there would be commission involved as well as his son's football well-being. Just I, for a change. I think, yeah, it's funny how that always pops up, isn't it? Like a, a cork bobbing in the ocean. Um, I, I do think that there are now increased chances. I think that we are clearer that Barcelona are willing to put to go all in. The, the gap right now, if you want to say more on the gap, is I'm not thoroughly convinced that Barcelona have yet or can offer sufficient to convince Paris Saint-Germain. You know, I guess you reported previously, or maybe this is the first podcast since, but in winning 4-0 at the weekend off the back of the two undefeated to Rennes, Paris Saint-Germain saw both Cavani and Mbappé injured. And while Chupamotong scored twice and there are some other possibilities, you'd have said that in some of the transfers you and I have reported over our careers, the idea of Mbappé and Cavani being out would mean both the sports franchise at Paris Saint-Germain, the sports people and the owners saying, Neymar's going nowhere. You know, not everything off the table. Smash the table up and use it for firewood. We need him that that remains a possibility. It doesn't seem to be how they're talking. And neither Cavani or Mbappe will be back quickly. They're helped a little bit with the international break, obviously. One match to go for Paris Saint-Germain before they get that, that break from uh, competition that allows them to eat into the recuperation time for Mbappe and, uh, and Cavani. But, but given the fact that there are Champions League matches coming up, that's their absolute obsession. Given the fact that they lost to Rennes, um, the idea that Cavani and Mbappe are out and they sell Neymar, it, 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 one, 
I'm not sure Barcelona have yet offered enough money. Two, will Dembele, as is being reported, accept going as part of the package to Paris Saint-Germain? Something I now, with great regret, think will be healthy for Dembele and Barcelona and Paris Saint-Germain. Dembele is not living focused and properly enough to realise his potential here. And if Paris Saint-Germain will take him as part of the deal, that's to Barcelona's enormous good fortune. And therefore, one, Barcelona has enough money. Two, will Dembele go? And three, can Paris Saint-Germain find the replacement footballer that they need? One, to, to, to fill his gap immediately. And, and two, to develop into something akin to what Neymar was in the, in the French capital. And therefore, those three questions linger over a move that has to pick up speed if it's going to be done by Monday. Okay, one of the points of um, information I had from a contact uh, just this morning, who is an intermediary involved in the deal, uh, uh, a man known both uh, to you and I very well. I don't need to name him, uh, but he's very involved in the Neymar situation. He was indeed with the transfer of Neymar to Barcelona in the first place. And then, of course, then to PSG. Said to me or suggested to me that um, Paris's valuation of 170 million euros plus a player would be acceptable to Barcelona. Um, and that the payment could be made over two years and not one, which, of course, makes it easy for Barcelona to fit in with FFP. Um, I just wonder, though, if Dembele is willing to leave Barcelona, having not fulfilled anywhere near the potential nor the hope that was um, part of the deal that took him there in the first place. I, I can't honestly tell you that I know that as a fact. But if I understand the mood at Football Club Barcelona from other players, from the management and from the board of directors. There has been an enormous disappointment in Dembele in, in a, a smaller window of analysis than back over the last couple of seasons. There were moments last season when he genuinely looked as if he was um, moving on in terms of maturity, impact on the pitch. There have definitely been moments when it's evidently clear that Messi, even though they don't necessarily share convictions about what a football life is supposed to be like, took him under his wing, gave him tuition, gave, gave him encouragement as well, because Dembele, nobody should make a mistake, still has things in his game that I think nobody else, including Neymar, has in the world. But the tight window is that he turned up after summer in, in proper nick, in good nick. He was uh, pinpoint at his ideal weight, but he'd obviously done enough physical preparation that he was in good shape. And then there is a, a pre-season where he's adequate followed by an incident where he is playing, starts in a Leo Messi-less uh, Barcelona at Athletic, San Mames. Suarez goes off injured with a calf problem. Griezmann's on his competitive debut. There's a lot of responsibility resting on Dembele's shoulders. He flickers into life here and there, carries far too little responsibility, lets uh, Kappa, the fullback, run past him for the cross to Adirith for the winning goal, and then at some stage, whether it's during the game or after the game, feels a tightness in the back of his leg, says, it'll just be cramps, goes off to visit his 
uh, mum in Wren, again, uh, coincidentally. Feels worse, comes back to the club and the club examiner will find that he's got a hamstring problem that's going to keep him up five, maybe six weeks. So he, he hasn't in any way, um, one, if he's injured while on the pitch, uh, he has to indicate, even with three subs, because he has to tell people, if somebody runs at me, they're going to run past me. He doesn't do that. If he wasn't injured on the pitch, then he just let Kappa run past him and was wide asleep in the mode that everybody was at Anfield. And, you know, to lose one goal to being sound asleep, lying on a comfy mattress at Manfield, at Anfield, to go out 4-0 after having 1-3-0 is bad enough. To do it in the first competitive match of the season and be, to be asleep at a set play throw-in that leads to a 1-0 goal and you start the season with a defeat for the first time since 2008. If, if, if the kid's not injured, then he's just basically abrogated his duty. To then bugger off to France without reporting, I think I've got an injury, to come back and be injured in the knowledge that probably the time it's taken to start treatment has exacerbated the problem. That, in my understanding, slammed down the portcullis on a lot of people's appreciation of whether this kid is or isn't worth continued investment, having slept in and missed training, having notoriously spent time playing some stupid game. I don't know what, where, I, don't, I don't even know what Fortnite is. I don't give a flying duck. But there is some sort of online game that, that Dembele plays into the small hours, doesn't get enough sleep. And it, he, for a guy who's consistently injured, um, it's, it's, it's brutal that he will not listen to anybody about how to put order in his life. And therefore, irrespective of whether he can uh, evolve and mature in football terms on the pitch, which is a separate question, if you're completely unwilling and unprepared to listen to what your fellow pros, your uh, uh, physical preparation trainers and your body are all telling you, then, then you get shipped out. And somebody else says, we'll have a go. He's, although he, he, he comes from the suburbs, he's a Parisian kid. Paris recuperating the full blazing beauty of this, this footballer at full tilt could be a very clever story, could be a very clever move. Were I Paris, I'm unsure about whether I would vest faith in him, but I think I would probably take that risk because Dembele at the young ages cannot be allowed cannot be stupid enough. I've listened to him and watched him and listened to people around him. There's a street smart in him. He needs somebody to give him a cuff around the ear and saying, this is how you're living for the next 10 years. At which point, somebody has a phenomenon on their hands. And I can imagine Paris saying, yeah, we'll, we will do that. We will, you know, we will, we'll conduct metallurgy. We'll turn metal into silver. And, and at which point, Barcelona take that offer. Where they get the 170 million, Ian, is is somewhere that I profess to be unclear. I, I'm genuinely unclear about where, even in two tranches, that is generated. Hats off to them if they can do it. I'd really like to know how. I agree with you on Dembele Grim. I think um, <clears throat> exchanging him for the Neymar of the past six months, you know, is probably less of a risk than keeping Neymar. Uh, under duress um, and I think Dembele uh, perhaps could be inspired by the likes of Mbappe um, in terms of uh, getting himself back on track and, and becoming 
the football that we know and we hope that he can be. Um, it strikes me, um, and it's, I think it's worth mentioning at the end of this Barca segment, that should Neymar join, uh, rejoin, I should say, uh, Barcelona, then with a, a lineup which includes Suarez, Neymar, Messi, Griezmann, Franca de Jong, it's almost like Barca are going down the galactical route of the 2000s of Real Madrid in terms of just basically uh, putting together the best footballers in the world and saying, go out and play, see what happens, you're probably going to win. I, I think that the comparison in terms of how this direct this uh, board of directors and the president think, I think you've made a, a healthy comparison. It's not as strategic. They don't come into a background that began in the 50s with uh, Sapporo, the vice president, and Santiago Bernabeu, the, the president, where they actively invented this idea and said, we can only when Real Madrid were, were floppy and were at best maybe the fourth club in Spain behind Atleti, Barcelona and Athletic Club. At that time, people forget, in, uh, having come through the Civil War really badly, having been one of the clubs and one of the institutions that resisted Franco and having had their board decimated and, and not being looked upon well by the new Galician uh, dictator... It was Santiago Bernabeu and, and Sapporo who invented this galactical idea and therefore the, the, the board you're talking about, the Florentino Perez board of 2000 onwards until 2007 when he quit and stood down, it, it, it was a strategic, deliberate policy. This one, Bartomeu's definitely thinking, never mind the uh, uh, field of quality. Um, I... I I, the difference would be that you know that there was a day when uh, uh, when uh, Carlos Queiroz had just been appointed, appointed uh, coach. Uh, uh, those are the days when you could still wander around the room at your training ground. Blessed days they were. Uh, and we got Carlos Queiroz on his own, um, literally through a fence, a mesh fence, and said to him, what's going on, mate? What's, what, do you, what do you think about what you've seen? And, and what do you think about the fact you got no Makaleli? And... and and Carlos Queiroz stood there that day and said to Sid and I, off, just off the top of his head, giving me this squad, making me take over and selling Makaleli without my consent is like asking a climber to ascend Everest without oxygen. And he was right. And the team suffered. Yeah. It was a time when McManaman decided to leave. And you're focusing on the fact that the overload, if, there, if Neymar is signed, with potentially what we didn't mention potentially, although it'll still surprise me, Rakitic is part of the deal because Rakitic was utterly determined to stay. But money talks. Sometimes when a player is paid to go away, sometimes, it'll still surprise me, Phil. And therefore, the way to answer you is, I genuinely believe that if you're Barcelona up in an ideal situation, if Neymar is signed, it reads like this with Stegen in goal. A right back, let's call it Semedo, from I'm not a great fan, but Semedo, Pique, either Umtiti or Longley, and Alba, um, or Junior Aleppo, Alba is your premium choice, then it's a 4-2-3-1 situation. Your two are permed from Frankie de Jong and Artur, or Frankie de Jong and Busquets, or Busquets and Artur, potentially Vidal, Rakitic if he stays, automatically Rakitic if he stays. To my mind, a player they should never let go for any reason. But nonetheless, maybe he goes in the Neymar deal. But your 4 2 there are candidates for those two, including Sergio Roberto. And then your, your 3-1, it, 
it, it comes from Neymar on the left, Griezmann on the right, which would be a test for him, Messi at 10 and Suarez at 9. How many games does Suarez get? How long is it before Suarez joins into Miami? Can Griezmann handle it on the right? Will Neymar accept? Um, this is like the beginnings of, of Soap. Um, confused? He won't be after the next episode of Soap. <laughs> you know, can Neymar accept going back to playing off the left touchline instead of playing exactly where he wants to with Paris Saint-Germain? Big, big questions for Valverde to cope with. But does is there the overload like there was in that Galactican Real Madrid without Makaleli? I don't think that's the case. I think the dilemmas are different. Does Griezmann accept what's happening? Does Neymar stay fit, get well, live well, obey tactical orders? Is Suarez an ultra-declining force and, and you never play the four of them together? Don't know, but my perception would be 4-2-3-1 with all of them um, fully fit and fully focused. I think there is balance. The two fullbacks step up. Barcelona often play two at the back offensively. The two fullbacks step up, not to overlap like Alba has always done because you've got Neymar in front of him, Griezmann in front of uh, Semedo. But Semedo and um, Alba step up to help the two in the midfield in the way that you saw, for example, um, little Lamb doing at, at Bayern where the fullbacks became inside midfielders, not outside overlappers. That can function so that you've got a two at the back, your two centre-backs, a four in midfield where the two holding midfielders, two organising midfielders, Busquets and Artur, De Jong and Busquets, are augmented by the two fullbacks who's stepping in. And then you've got the three, which is right to left, Griezmann, Messi, Neymar, and, and Suarez at nine. Plus your, your bench, plus your bench where you're already arguing about, is it, is it um, uh, Vidal? Is it a little Ansu Fati, who we talked about in this transfer podcast months ago? Is it Carlos Perez? Is it Blumen, um, uh, it, it Does Rakitic stay? Does he get on? Is Artur playing or is it always Busquets and Dion? It, it can work. It's risky. And, and to back what you're saying, it's been unstrategic. There's an opportunity cost because Neymar wants to leave. It hasn't been planned. It hasn't been strategic. It's been like there's a big name available by him, which brings back to your galactical comparison. Well, in La Liga, as we always know, there's no yin without the yang. And Real Madrid are certainly off balance right now with regards to what's happening at camp. Um, we've had a couple of questions, Graham. One from Sammy1679, another from Twitter handle Atrequarista, often goes in his own life under the name Grant Robbins. A bit like a Clark Kent and Superman, I think. Now, Sammy's interested in the situation regarding Zidane and the, as we mentioned, the friction between himself and Florentino Perez with regards to transfer policy. Obviously, results, albeit very, um, you know, not in any way finalised in terms of the league but at the same time, Zidane's under a bit of pressure. Sammy wants to know, would the best thing to do just to finally get Pochettino? And if they did, would Zidane go to Juventus in the eventuality of Sarri not working out uh, or not winning the Champions League? I know that's a lot of speculation there, Graham. I suppose when it's not transfer market speculation, I think that what um, your listeners, and what I think everybody who follows football in an analytical sense, wants to do is to try and it, it, it's not fishing for rumours, it's speaking in an analytical tone. And I think that, um, you know, you and both of those uh, listeners who've come in, 
Sammy and Tricortista. Tricortista, um, yeah. I've, I've asked is that, that there's accuracy in the idea that things have been happier and healthier between President Florentino Perez and Zinedine Zidane for a number of reasons. Without elongating this dramatically, going back to the, the week, like the five days following the victory in Kiev over Liverpool in the Champions League final of 2018, Zidane left because he said um, there needs to be changes. There needs to be a, a break in the relationship between me and the squad. It needs somebody else to come in. And what the, part of the changes he wanted to see was that the president would listen to him, move bail on then, the guy that he dropped but brought on against Liverpool to score the goals. He wanted that altered. He wanted Pogba then. He wanted to see a different dynamism in the squad, physical dynamism, and also daily hunger in, in terms of approach. He wanted to see a shaking, an Alex Ferguson style, shaking up, not automatically to talk about complacency, but a shuffling of the pack so that people looked over their shoulders and said, I can't drop my level. He left, having said all that, almost none of those things happened. When Florentino wasn't content with either Lopetegui or Solari, although I think in the case of Solari, he made a mistake, Zidane came back almost like in a Pavlovian action just like in Monaco and Monte Carlo in about 2001, he pushed the napkin back across the table to say yes when the original napkin question from Florentino scrolled down as, do you want to join Madrid? From that point until this, including actually joining, responding with the goal at hand and night, we were both there against Bayer Leverkusen. Then on leaving, responding to Florentino Perez saying in 2000 and uh, late 2008, early 2009, I want to re-campaign to become president again, having walked away from the presidency. Both Ronaldo, or Phenomeno, and Zidane stood by his side, were pictured by him, supported him. Zidane came in, then became ambassador, uh, became envoy. One by one, these are different posts. Became football director, became uh, B-team coach, became assistant head coach, became head coach. It's almost like these two are umbilically linked. A more common wise, Butch and Sundance. And it's almost as if Zidane can't help himself that when the president clicks his fingers and said, Zizou, aide-moi, he does. Now, whether that was the right thing to do uh, last spring to come back, I- I'm not convinced. But what has led to these questions, I'm certain, is the fact that you can see Zidane having to rely on all the same faces, some of whom he wanted to change. You can, we are absolutely crystal clear that Florentino Perez, irrespective of Manchester United's stance, which has been right from last spring onwards, we will not sell Pogba. Irrespective of they are the club in possession, let's acknowledge that. They are the club who've been briefing, we will not sell them, and that's come true. Zidane looks upwards, not just outwards, and looks at his president. Really been behind me on signing Pogba. I think it won't happen personally, even though Pogba's brother, who's moved to Spain to play, said, you know, everybody can see why, uh, how well he would do at Madrid and why Madrid want him and all that kind of stuff. I just think that Manchester United 
believe that they can hold on to him and can't afford to sell him and therefore it's not going to happen. Zidane doesn't look at it that way. He looks at his president and said, did you, did you put everything into that? And I still want him until the market, you know, is, is literally gone and, and uh, uh, the prospect has disappeared. There is fractiousness about Florentino's wish to bring in Neymar. There is fractiousness about the fact that Zidane is a now coach, a results coach, a today coach, and doesn't have a massive amount of time or interest in developing footballers like Vinicius, Rodrigo. Sees his value. There's no fallout between the young Brazilian and the elder statesman Frenchman. But when Hazard is fit, Hazard will play there. If Vinicius doesn't enjoy playing on the right, Zidane will drop him. And for Florentino, that's kind of um, kryptonite. He wants uh, what you talked about a minute ago about an overload of stars in the team. He wants Vinicius in the team. He knows that the Bernabeu love him. Um, he knows that Vinicius has the potential to become, in my opinion, properly developed. Vinicius has the easily the potential to be a Ballon d'Or winner. I, I'm stunned by the, the quality and the brain on this guy. But we're going into a period where his development, I think, will be stilted. Look, he's still, whatever, 18 or something. So that's hardly the end of the world. But there are stresses and strains. The team played extremely poorly in the second half against Valladolid last weekend, having played pretty well in the first half. They were muscular and aggressive and quick to the punch away to Celta Vigo the week before, which was good. And there is a case to be made that um, the 7-3 defeat to Atletico Madrid in New Jersey at the MetLife Stadium when um, I think were, were Atleti 6-1 or 7-1 up. They might have been 7-1 up. I think they probably were. Madrid won the second half, 3-2, came off the pitch and said something that sounded to me indigestible. They were trying, we weren't. <laughs> they actually all said, they, they, from player to coach, they said, this was a pre-season friendly for us. They played as if it was the Champions League final. Well, you should have too. Yeah. <laughs> but subsequently and particularly seeing as they woke up in the second half it looks as if the gap is much smaller it looks as if they were stupid enough to play it like a training exercise against Atleti in, uh, in front of a huge crowd but nonetheless it's, it's, the Florentino Perez is not renowned for his Francis of Assisi tendencies 7-3 against Atleti does damage Ian so to listen to the guys is Zidane's post assured in terms of is he guaranteed to want to stay and not walk out, I'd say no. He should be the unsackable coach. He should be the guy who is umbilically, on previous evidence, linked to Florentino Perez. And the soonest a break should be coming should be next June. Am I absolutely convinced that that's the case? No, I'm not. There are sneaking suspicions that things aren't right. And in our term of viewers, who I don't particularly respect, well, Jose Mourinho is out of work. And Florentino Perez loves Jose Mourinho. And since he last left, has offered him the job back at least on two occasions. Well, that's what Grant Robbins, uh, a trequarista, has, has asked us, Graham. He said, how long with you, Jose waiting in the wings will Zidane get? If, if results, obviously, they will be the ones that dictate his <laughs> yeah. fate. How long before he... Um, uh, obviously, says, Grant, obviously in lo back. longer than most because he's Zidane. And not because of his names or his initials or the World Cup final, but because he is, he is written into the DNA of this club now. But when Di Stefano was written into the DNA of the club, he, he left 
not on speaking terms with then President Santiago Bernabeu, who, whose reign Di Stefano had made great. By the time Cristiano left, things were difficult between him and, and, and the president. Achieving greatness at Real Madrid is not an autumn. Raul was shown the back door and just basically filtered out of the club and it, and it stung him for a long time. There are other examples that we made. Raul is back now. Peace is broken out again. There, there are often uh, recuperations of relationships, but relationships, even between true all-time greats and Real Madrid over the generations, have often ended up in a fractured way. So Zidane would get longer, will get longer. Marca, while this headline, I'm certain, wasn't fed by Florentino Perez, Marca is a paper which I know from their journalists and their executives is drip-fed, as, as presidents will often do, is drip-fed information from Florentino Perez. And on Tuesday, the full-page splash on the front was a picture of Zidane's face looking pensive, if not worried, but very pensive, with the big banner headline, bull headline, Zidane loses his immunity and hidden away some of the fans thinks he now think he's not untouchable. But it didn't read like that. It looks like Marco on behalf of Real Madrid are declaring that Zidane is a very clever piece of headline design in that they can always say, oh, we were talking about the fans. But that's not what it was meant to look like. There was a message between the lines. It was a very strong message in the first place. And it won't make Zidane cry into his pillow or lose his sleep or, or headbutt anybody's chest. But it's things are fractious. And Zidane will be given longer. But if, I, I think we can judge Mourinho by his words and his actions. I found it interesting at a time when João Felix was saying, give me more responsibility, give me the ball, I'll score another goal, I'll make another goal in pre-season and then the first game. When Mourinho spoke out about João Felix, his, his compatriot, who one day he might coach for the international team, he used a phrase like, well, of course, because of the huge price tag, he can't hide from the responsibility. Hide from the responsibility? This kid is playing at 19 as if he was 29 and he'd won five Ballons d'Or. He's saying he wants to emulate Cristiano Ronaldo and he's the team leader at Atleti after six weeks. What are you talking? Oh, yeah. oh yeah. you're laying down a track for words that Real Madrid fans and the Real, Real Madrid president will like by having a little dig at Joe Felix already. It's the beginning. There will be further salvos. And in my opinion, yeah, Mourinho would would love to manoeuvre himself in a position where if Zidane, become, if Zidane becomes weak enough, then there's a transfer of power. Well, there was another um, piece in Marca yesterday, Graham, which I thought was interesting, where the headline and the analysis was that, uh, effectively explicating that uh, Madrid's spine is Jurassic i.e. dinosaur-like, uh, Sergio Ramos, Cruz Modric, and then Benzema. You know, these guys are spent forces. Why have Madrid whoa, not renewed? Whoa, whoa, whoa. You want to metaphorically reach out, find the writer, and dab him in the nose about Benzema, who continues yeah. to play the, the best football of his career, who is now seventh in the all-time scoring list at Real Madrid, who dogged him out of a morass at the weekend against Valladolid, one of the best goals of his career, had one of the best seasons of his entire career last season when Cristiano Ronaldo debunked Juventus. So whoever was mentioning that in the article, they, they just they, they deserve a cuff round the ear. 
otherwise, you know, I, I hear you. The points, the points, good. I don't know what you think about it, but the, the point is good that it looks as if the team does need refreshing. Uh, well, I've I've made a point, and it's been one which has been informed by coaches and you know colleagues, etc. Colleagues by by that I mean players at Madrid or ex-players at Madrid who say that Ramos is now a negative influence in the dressing room, not a positive one in which he has been for so many years, and has too much power. And one of the reasons coaches suffer is because if Ramos doesn't like you or doesn't like the way that you're setting the team up or your substitutions, et cetera, et cetera, then he will be in other players' ears saying, you know, be critical things. You, know, you don't want to uh, be listening to that guy because he doesn't clearly know what he's doing. This is Real Madrid and we should be winning games, effectively passing the buck uh, for possibly his own misdemeanors, of which we know red cards are many, um, and therefore, um, you know, being a negative influence, as I said, rather than someone who is a figurehead of the club, as much as he it, is loved by the fans. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because you don't become an all-time world elite footballer like Sergio Ramos is without question by being a shrinking violet, by being an easy personality. Um, I've met him, I've worked around him, I've talked to him, I've watched him in training. Um, this is a guy who, if a little bit like Gerard Piquet, if he's not fully focused, if other things are on his mind, if he's got a thorn in his side, it, it can be difficult being around him or managing him. He is such a physical phenomenon that to, to me, he remains a positive. But I know from people who were with him in the Russian World Cup that he can live in a certain way around his matches where he kind of thinks I'm invulnerable, inviolate, and I will dictate not only my way of life, my attitude, my what I say, what I don't say. And that is a situation which has happened a million times in football. And the balance of how you analyse Sergio Ramos as that leader, I think, is is becoming difficult. He's at an age now where his extraordinary physical and athletic powers must, if they're not on the decline, they must be at a turning point. It's just physically impossible that they're not. And mentally, therefore, he has to be ultra-engaged. Thus far, when he's played, he's played well. He, he bailed them out of enormous trouble against Valladolid with last-minute interceptions. He, he rushes into tackles, as he did when Oscar Plano was breaking through for Valladolid and setting up Sergio Guardiola for the 1-1. But he's always rushed into those things. Like, I'll put out the fire, whether the fire is small or, or, or large, and the decisions percentage-wise aren't always right, but he's always played that way. Right now, what I look at rather than one man is in Militao, who they've signed to be a centre-back, what have they got? He hasn't made a competitive debut yet. Has he got somebody who can can command, lead, scare, intimidate other forwards? In Mendy, who hasn't made a competitive de debut yet because of, do they have somebody who can do those same things? Make... Uh, Madrid's defence like a man trap against snapping shot on people or not. When will Hazard be fit? What level of genius will he bring to the team? 
can Casemiro reproduce his form of two and three seasons ago, not last uh, season? It looked initially against Celta, he could, but you talked about the Jurassic spine of the team. At 1-0 up, still with five or six minutes, leaning down on the ball to high-five Carvajal for having made a simple ball recuperation as if it was some sort of showpiece game. Isn't a criminal offence. You won't do 10 years hard labour for it, but I think if football coaches could impose that, they would. There are things whereby the new signings need to shake attitudes up at Real Madrid. And I hope that they've signed the right guys to do that in Militao. Uh, that Ferri Valverde, the young Uruguayan, begins to command a place and make other people scared for their place. I- I'm unsure about that. I'm genuinely unsure. And and I presume from his words, he used Zidane used foul language. It was very funny. I don't know. Uh, what language am I allowed to use in this podcast, Ian? Uh, you can use whatever you like, Graham. And then if, if, if it's not suitable for our younger listeners, then we will change it into Spanish. Zidane <laughs> said, uh, teníamos que uh, mandar la pelota de tomar al saco. <laughs> Which basically, was, in the last in the last few minutes when we were 1-0 up, we should have got the ball to fuck. Yeah. And he said that to television. And people are saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. We should have held on to possession. Or we should have put Vile lead on their back foot. They, they haven't enjoyed listening to a Real Madrid manager saying for the last five minutes, we should have just got rid. Yeah. That so the, transla- the translation of that is, is in, uh, you know, the younger generation's language. Can we not knock it? Or hoof? Well, <laughs> yeah, from Zidane. From Zidane, the, from one Zidane, of the finest the players of this generation. And now manager of Real Madrid. That's not an acceptable thing for the fans, not, not my point of view, to be hearing at any stage from anybody who's a Real Madrid manager, unless literally the ball's on the goal line in the that's, last... That's Zidane calling you now to, to no, complain about your... Um, that'll be Zidane's people, I think you'll find. <laughs> Um, then um, what, uh, what what I would argue we're saying is that only a Zidane who is driven to absolute distraction would be saying that out loud yeah. so it, 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 it was a measure of where this guy is at um, so well Graham given that you know several very influential figures at Madrid before he walked out on his last appointment believed that he would do because of burnout. And one of the things that they were um, apprehensive in reappointing him uh, on the last occasion was that that burnout had not yet been uh, in any way uh, resolved. Um, However, they were in a, a bind themselves about who to replace uh, in what had been a massive managerial um, kind of merry-go-round stroke mismanagement by Perez with regards to the way in which they um, then, you know, it's it's one of those things where you ask yourself, well, did they rush him back? Did they uh, make the right decision in that? Um, and, And of course, I guess that's these questions have been asked again, if that's the way he's behaving in front of television. Yeah, I think that um, when you say burnout, it was a burnout, not of him having no energy, but of him feeling 
I can, I am not being backed by the president to make the changes that I want in this squad and therefore I'm walking away. To come back seems to have been a bad percentage decision for Zidane because clever coaches, all, all you and I have been educated, clever coaches say, yeah, I don't mind taking an ailing project because there's a very good chance if I do my work well, it'll look like I've waved a magic wand. But the time I want to try and wield that magic stick is when the season has ended, when I get a fresh start, when there's a build feeling in pre-season, when I've got a chance to take in new signings, when I've got a chance to get people out. Now, Zidane forewent all of that by beginning uh, bailing water out of a sinking ship in, in spring and neither the performances nor the results were really any damn good. And therefore he made, uh, I, I think, in terms of his own personal calculations, an error in when he went back. I think that has undermined where he's at right now in terms of the relationship with the media, his relationship with the president, his relationship with his players. It is not all doom and gloom. They've invested a lot of money you know that Hazard, when fit, will bring quality. Um, you, I think it's fair to expect that Militao and Mendy will bring youth, aggression and power and energy to Real Madrid. I might be completely wrong about my diagnosis that Tony Cruz has become irrevocably lazy. But at the moment, those are things because of injuries. We have to wait to find out. And Zidane isn't enjoying the process of um, how this summer has treated him at all. And therefore, I think it's legitimate from everybody who's speculated and asked about Zidane and, and Juventus. I, I haven't answered because I think that Sarri's ill right now. He's had pneumonia. He missed the weekend's game. I um, like his brand of football. I know he wasn't a popular man at Chelsea um, within the club. I'm talking about not, not out west. Um, but I'd like to see him getting healthy. I'd like to see his brand of football working at Vecchia Signora simply because I find it a really intelligent and attractive brand of football. If that if he doesn't work, then Zidane and Juventus is a separate question. I, I need to do work to find out if I was sure to say, yeah, he'll definitely go back there. I, I'm, I'm, I know it looks an obvious candidate and I could understand it, but Juventus have a different attitude to who they appoint than Real Madrid do. It isn't good enough for Juventus to say, let's have a favoured old boy. <laughs> let's work out whether we approve of him or not. And therefore, I'm, I'm sort of not dodging that, but I'm, I'm remaining wary about that question. Right now, are there clouds that need dispersing at the Bernabeu and Valdebeva's training ground? Yes, there are. Well, Sammy1679, we will return to you with um, information on Zizou to Juve from our uh, uh, grande fratello Aurelio Capaldi, the man who knows everything in Italian football um, as the season progresses and we'll see a results go for both Sarri and for Zizou with regards to their, those two perchance changing jobs. Graham, I have to say, having spent the last few days in Spain, I've been very moved um, and also very appreciative of the celebration of the life of the great Johan Cruyff in Barcelona and the tributes that are being paid to him. Um, can you give us a feel of what that's been like in the city, as well as um, the fact that um, the club have made a point of this, what has been an extended celebration of his life and his career? I see it very much like you in that 
in order to understand the importance of Football Club Barcelona unveiling a brilliant statue of Johan Cruyff, the footballer, and unveiling the new Johan Cruyff Stadium, which is really well designed, looks compact and modern and exactly the right look, great pitch out at uh, St. Juan de Spi, where Barcelona have their training grounds. If you can imagine it, it's a gigantic tranche of land, very open, that you can you know, look into from several points north, south, east and west of it, including one of the motorways that take you out to um, the airport. You can, you can basically just look into this gigantic patch of uh, training pitches, basketball facilities, an area where they still plan to have an hotel. And this little stadium is now where the youth teams, including the B team, are all going to play. They're going to knock down the, the mini stadium next to the camp now where you and I, uh, back in 96, we heard players who were training for the uh, European Under-21 semi-finals and final. It included the Spain team with Caixa Mendieta and Raul in it, Italy team um, with Totti in it, with... Um, there was Zacchinardi uh, oh, in that one. The France team had Makaleli in it. It was a brilliant tournament. And the, those uh, of the Scotland setup who were in that quartet. With, with Christian it. Daly. Scotland's Christian Daly. Daly. Simon uh, Donnelly, Jackie McNamara. Brian O'Neill. And, and they, they trained at, at Barcelona's uh, mini study and said that in their lives they'd never been on a better pitch. That, that, that stadium is going to disappear as part of the Camp Nou regeneration. And the Johan Christ Stadium, which was inaugurated last night in a game against uh, Young Ajax, to for people to really properly understand what a big change this is, they need to know that Jose Maria Bar Bartomeu, the president, came into the Camp Nou hierarchy back in 2003. Uh, at the same time as his friend Sandro Rossi. He was part of that era when Ferran Soriano and Joan, Joan Laporta and Mark Ingler all um, willingly or unwillingly, in some cases, reinstated Cruyff principles, appointed Chiqui Begerstein as the football director. He appointed, eventually, after having had a no from Hiddink and Koeman, appointed uh, Frank Rijkaard. And the rebirth of Cruyff principles in the senior team found a harvest in the young Cruyff system trained footballers who were coming through from the youth system, which was Puyol and Xavi and Iniesta and Valles and in due course Iniesta and Busquets and Pedro and Piquet. But make no mistake about this, Ian, um, and, and all listeners. The current football club Barcelona president, Bartomeu, was an ally of Sandro Rosé. He's president now because he was vice president to Sandro Rosé, who won elections in 2010. Sandro Rosé stomped out of the club and said, Johan Cruyff is interfering too much. This was in 2005, when they'd ended a six-year trophy hiatus and when they were both Spanish and European champions. And Rosé's hatred, that's not too strong a word, of Johan Cruyff was so bad that when he took over as president in uh, 2010, he immediately uh, formed a, a mass meeting to demand why Johan Cruyff had been given an honorary presidency, as De Stefano was at Real Madrid, 
and to examine whether this was legitimate or not. And Cruyff, uh, now sadly lost to us, stomped down the hill from Saria to the camp now, basically threw his medal of insignia and, and ribbon of insignia over the desk and said, here, if the president doesn't want me, you can take this back and you know you can stick it. And Bartomeu, the current president, was in Rosset's camp, was his vice president, agreed with this idea and has had a road to Damascus. I think the fact that we had uh, Johan Cruyff's uh, widow, Danny, there last night, and Jordi speaking about the statue, about the stadium, dates back to a handful of years when Barcelona and the Cruyff Institute formed uh, Masters in Football together, when Bartomeu reached out to Jordi Cruyff, asked him if he'd like to become director of football, told him that he felt that the damaging relationships between the Cruyff family, the Cruyff Institute, the Cruyff Universities and Football Club Barcelona had gone on too long. And year on year from then, this man, who was an avowed sceptic and cynic about Johan Cruyff, Bartomeu, the president, has rebuilt bridges. You can occasionally see Danny uh, Cruyff at the camp now. She wouldn't come for many years when Rosé was in charge, and, and understandably so, just like Cathy Ferguson would never go to uh, watch St Mirren playing at Pataudry when uh, Alex Ferguson was in charge at Aberdeen and St Mirren had sacked him, uh, came to play. Uh, the, 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 the grudge was held. And yet what we got was the majority of the family members, um, ex-players, current players, a 5,000 crowd at Young Barcelona against Young Ajax last night in the Iron Crush Stadium. And proper honouring of the most important man in the history of organised football, not just the history of Football Club Barcelona. Nobody has ever combined Cruyff the player, Cruyff the coach, Cruyff the teacher. No man or woman in the history of the game has given us, all of us, what that man gave football, but most particularly to Football Club Barcelona, over and above anything he achieved at Ajax. And the fact that he's now honoured with a statue the fact that the stadium is named after him, but above all, the fact that there is now a, a healthy, open relationship between um, those who've lived on after him and Football Club Barcelona at a time when the next president, I predict to you now, and we can speak about this in uh, autumn 2021, will be an avowed Cruyff fan, will bring back Xavi and other Cruyff-developed footballers um, to the camp now is to my way of thinking, you, you, I think you said you were a bit touched and moved by it. Yeah. I agree with that. I think it's also hugely healthy and important. We won't see a blink overnight, huge change. But it, when you re-involve Christ honour and Christ principles in your daily thinking and your evolution of young footballers, then you're heading in the right direction. And I agree with you. It, it, it was a moment of beauty uh, last night when the stadium was opened and the day before when the statue was unveiled, and it makes me happy. It's a wonderful tribute to, as you say, Graham, uh, a man who's been integral to the development and betterment of football for us all, not just for those at Ajax and Barcelona whom he served with such honour for so many years. We're going to wrap up this particular Transfer Window podcast from Spain, as you all know, um, and of course, it being Wednesday, we need to do the Donkey Awards, but 
as Duncan is absent. We're doing the bumper awards for bumper, bumper Graham. Yes. And, uh, and, and I've got some nominations here for you, Graham. <laughs> Inspired by um, the, let's just say, less than um, sensible comments of a certain president of the uh, greatest country in the free world, or whatever as they call themselves, that they could nuke hurricanes in order to to defend uh, America from them. Now, I'm going to take the football uh, reference of this and ask, to what extremes would you go for the bumper award? (laughs) <laughs> to stop to defend yourself from attack. Uh, I'm just going to open the golden envelope here, Graham. Just give me a second. It's, it's all very exciting. It's, it's all very exciting when you open the golden envelope. Uh, so we have um, a Scottish, a Scottish uh, uh, um, appraisal here for the first one in terms of uh, Craig Levine, now currently Hearts manager, of course, formerly head coach of Scotland, who famously put out his team in a 4-6-0 formation against the Czech Republic in order to repel what he thought was the threat from um, their attacking players, but also in order to give uh, his Scotland team the best possible chance of not conceding a goal and therefore defending well. The second nomination is, of course, and we can't keep him out of this, can we, the great Josie Mourinho's... um, let's just say philosophy stroke uh, intention of in what Liverpool fans call literally parking his bus across the Anfield goal in order to prevent um, what the Liverpool fans believed was their incredible attacking force from getting a result against either his Chelsea team or his Manchester United team for that matter. Third in this particular award though is Probably my personal favourite, uh, and you'll understand why. It's uh, it goes back to 1983, um, and Doni Goicochea, uh, one of the uh, most well, I'd say famous, but also controversial figures in La Liga history and in, in Spanish football generally, um, who uh, in uh, a game against uh, Mar- uh, Maradona's, I say Maradona's, he was only for a season, but Barcelona. Uh, when Diego Maradona was there, um, he was, well, let's just use Maradona's words, shall we? One of the most brutal fouls ever delivered, he said. The sound was like wood breaking. He's talking about his ankle. Um, and then afterwards, uh, Goicochea was um, described as the butcher of Bilbao, because that was his team, Athletic Bilbao. Uh, he did break Maradona's ankle in that particular tackle. And Graham, I think, if I'm not mistaken, you might even have seen the boot in Goicochea's <laughs> living room. <laughs> where he, you know, where, you know, he, he did. He halved him, I think, as in as in Scottish parlance. Halved him. Um, oh, you gotta we, love that. We, we sometimes say. Was that was that half and half? He, he, given <laughs> that um, the the new uh, Maradona movie, um, brilliantly made, helps seal the idea that Maradona's descent into madness, although there were some tributaries, took spate. Some, some of them chemical by any chance. Well, took spate because <laughs> when he was so consistently kicked to hell at Barcelona and he was kicking around with uh, a restless personality in injured pain, he says that that's when cocaine became dominant in his life and it's remained pretty dominant since 
that's a fact. And I know that Andoni Goetia, in that brutal era of pretty much hatred between not only Football Club Barcelona and Athletic Bilbao, but Javier Clemente, the athletic manager, and, and it, which ended up in, in them kung fu kicking that life out of each other at the end of a cup final a year later. Um, the descent of Diego Maradona into, into cocaine-fueled madness has, has partly a tributary in that tackle. And Donigo Akechea is uh, a guy who hates being referred to that way, hates that moment, um, was revered for his, he was a hard man, but he was a decent sporting icon thereafter. And therefore, I ain't going to choose that. <laughs> um, I can't choose Tosi Mourinho, uh, given what I know about. Because <laughs> oh, because I'd really love the, to be able to admire his talents more than a magnifying glass on where he lets himself down, including growing the grass long at the Bernabeu, playing Pepe in midfield in a double pivot at home to Barcelona in the first leg of a semi-final of the Champions League when Real Madrid, as Cristiano Ronaldo told Mourinho and the rest of his players, should have been attacking, playing for a nil-nil at home against Barcelona in the Champions League semi-final with Pepe in midfield. No! I know you referred to Jose Mourinho parking the bus at Anfield, but no! Which leaves me, given that you've been <laughs> stingy enough to make it only a three-category award, giving this award to Craig Levine for two reasons. One, one of my first big interviews would have been in about 1990, commissioned by Tom English, or thereabouts, I think it's summer 90, when Craig Levine has turned around and lamped his, his fellow heart star, star Graham, Aberdonian Graham Hogg. Graham Hogg? In I a pre-season friendly? Jaw, knocked him flat out. And my editor at the Sunday Times, Tom English, had secured an interview with Craig Levine to talk about this. Craig turned up in absolute peak physical fitness, dressed like the man from the milk tray advert, black shoes, black trousers, black roll neck jumper, black eyes and, and deep black hair, and not a black soul because the, while the talk was um, testy as we danced around the subject, we got a lot of, uh, about his feelings, about the repercussions, his attitude to what happened on the pitch. It felt like a good interview. I wrote it. It's so what I thought was a good article. And my editor, Tom, hello, Tom, said to me, did you ask him if he was sorry? Go back and ask him. Go back and ask him. I was like, Tommy, lamp me. <laughs> so I was made to go back and ask him I did ask him he considered the reply um, I, to be honest with you I forget whether he was or he wasn't but Craig from that point onwards um, I'm not, I don't really enjoy when hearts come to Pataudry very much indeed I'm not a big big fan of and, and boy what a player he was when hearts came to Pataudry he was hard but brilliant very very good that experiment that he's been lambasted for, I didn't think was quite as harebrained as everybody has said it was. Um, had they snuck a goal from a rampaging midfield break forward, people would have talked about it with, ah, he's a good lad after all, Craig. It didn't come off. 
But an award like this needs to take into account the fact that you don't always have to, it doesn't always have to succeed for the spark of your idea to be worthy of stepping onto a podium. You can take out of your silver envelope now the winner of that award, Mr. C. Levine Esquire, care of Tynecastle. Craig Levine, congratulations. You have won the inaugural and hopefully not the last at Bumper Award. Uh, there needs for... to be an award for clarity and honesty here as well. I would say to you... Oh, I'd that... say we don't ever do clarity and honesty on the transfer window. If there's awards going out, there needs to be an award for accuracy. And back at the start of this, I mentioned that Oscar Grau, uh, Chief Executive at Barcelona, did go to Paris last night, uh, yesterday, and spoke at the airport where he did do, but so did uh, one of the senior directors, Javier Bordas. And when they got off the private flight, it was Javier Bordas who spoke at great length about being nearer to the Neymar deal and so on and so forth. So let there just be a little break there where we say, sorry, readers for say, uh, listeners for saying it was Oscar, when in fact it was Javier. Well, for a change, uh, listeners, there you get, we've got clarity and honesty at the end of the Transfer Window podcast, where normally you get hilarity and a little bit of entertainment. I'm sure you had that from the Bumper Graham Award uh, for the inaugural Bumper Graham Award, which, as I said, I hope we will reprise throughout the course of this coming season. Um, if you have liked what you heard, and I'm sure in this little league special you have, then give something back. Please go onto iTunes and give us a five-star review. And as you well know, you will help to increase our ever-burgeoning audience, which means the debate runs well. Um, if to uh, again engage us uh, after you've listened to the podcast, if you wish to, then you can do so at Transfer Podcast. Um, Graham's at Bumper Graham, but although I will warn you, he's very busy. Uh, so if you get a reply, then you can probably get a Bumper Graham Award for yourself. And of course, I'm at Garbo SG, which no one knows why, but Graham does. You can ask him about that as well if you want. Uh, we will be back with you on Friday with all your podcasting needs. And of course, we will be two days closer to the, clo uh, the end of the transfer window everywhere except England, where, of course, they're busy uh, trying to bandage the feet they shot themselves in. Uh, we shall see you on Friday through the transfer window. Left for me to say thanks for listening. Yeah.